lot of rebuilding. We've done a lot of renovations, rehab. We've, we've had to come into older properties, whether it's an office building or a shopping center, and, and we've had to come in and continuously clear out the old to make way for the new. That's just been the journey that, that we've been on. And in my view, rebuilding is many times more difficult than building because you've got the demolition that has to take place first. And many of you are here today and you remember those work parties we had. And I don't know why we call them parties. Party implies fun and it was no fun, you know. Many of you were there those late nights into the early morning tearing out the old walls, tearing up flooring. And and we did it because we thought it was worthwhile. We did it because we believed our church family would do well to have a place where we could come and hear the preaching and teaching of the Word of God. And so we pressed on. Perhaps the most remarkable story of rebuilding there were some great stories of building in Scripture, but the greatest story of rebuilding, perhaps, comes in the passage before us today. And it comes through a man by the name of Nehemiah through his life. This was a man that knew the Lord, he loved the Lord, and, and his, his, his home, his place where he'd come from, Jerusalem, had gone through a terrible time. The walls around Jerusalem had been knocked down. There was just a remnant of people living there. Many of the Jews were scattered, living as captives in foreign lands. And in a feat that really defied all the odds, all the odds makers in the day would have said Nehemiah could never do what he did. In a span of 52 days, he rebuilt walls that had been broken down. Now, just to put that in perspective, in uh, the great old city of Oceanside, you can't get a building permit in 52 days, okay? And this guy somehow got the complete building project done. It was amazing. It was miraculous. And, and the Lord... Lord knows, the Lord knows that we need people today who are builders. I'm talking about builders of relationships and builders of families and builders of communities. And we need some builders in our nation today. But the time comes into all of our lives where what we need most are some rebuilders. Some folks who can come in. And as the Bible says, strengthen the things that remain. And uh, I think that you, like me today, can survey your life and say, you know, there's some things that probably would do well to get a little rehab, a little renovation, some rebuilding. And maybe for you, it is that relationship that's on your heart today. It's that need in your family. Uh, maybe you today, as we celebrate a, a national holiday like this, maybe you, like me, have spent just a little bit of time this week thinking about the needs in our land and saying, Lord, would you, would you do a work of rebuilding in our land? I want you to know the life of Nehemiah was recorded for us in Scripture because God wanted us to learn from him how we can be involved in rebuilding in our lives. And if you're able, I'd like to invite you to join me in standing today as we look to the text together. Nehemiah chapter 1 is where we're going to begin. Nehemiah chapter 1, and as is the case with many of these blockbusters we're studying, we, we oftentimes got to uh, read a, a passage to get started, and then we'll bounce throughout the book to get the beginning and the middle and the end of the story. But it all begins in verse 1 of chapter 1, where the Bible says, The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah, And it came to pass in the month Chislu, in the twentieth year, as I was in Shushan the palace, that Hanani, one of my brethren, came he and certain men of Judah, and I asked them concerning the Jews that had escaped, which were left of the captivity, and concerning Jerusalem. Now I'm going to read on, but we're introduced to Nehemiah in this text, and we find that he's in a palace. We'll talk more about that. And as he's there, his brother and some other men come, and, and as Nehemiah sees these men, he says, Hey, what have you heard of Jerusalem? How's Jerusalem doing? How, how are those people, the remnant doing, that, that are living there in Jerusalem? Verse 3, And they said unto me, the remnant that are left of the captivity there in the province are in great affliction and reproach. 
The wall of Jerusalem also is broken down. The gates thereof are burned with fire. It came to pass when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned certain days and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven and said, I beseech thee, O Lord of heaven, the great and terrible God that keepeth covenant and mercy for them that love him and observe his commandments. Let thine ear now be attentive and thine eyes open that thou mayest hear the prayer of thy servant which I pray before thee now day and night for the children of Israel, thy servants, and confess the sins of the children of Israel, which we have sinned against thee, both I and my father's house have sinned. We've dealt very corruptly against thee. We have not kept the commandments, nor the statutes, nor the judgments which thou commandest thy servant Moses. Now I'm going to read on, but I think it's interesting in verse 7 that Nehemiah... uh, just to be exceedingly clear where he is before his God. In verse 7, he says, God, we want you to know we've been corrupt. He says, we haven't kept your commandments or your statutes or your judgments. And someone could say, well, all those are the same thing. And kind of, there's some nuances there. But, but Nehemiah was just being crystal clear. He was saying, God, I want you to know that I'm seeing this as you do. We've done wrong. We've done the wrong thing here, God. And he says, before we we go any further in our conversation, God, I just want to be crystal clear. I have no illusions of perfection here. We've done wrong. We haven't followed your word. Verse 8, then he says to the Lord, Remember, I beseech thee the word that thou commandest thy servant Moses, saying, If ye transgress, I will scatter you abroad among the nations. Again, I'll read on, but what's he saying to the Lord here in prayer? He's saying, God, do you remember what Moses taught us from you? That if we transgress or if we don't listen to your word, that we're going to have these problems. Nehemiah was saying, God, the problems we have right now as a nation, we have them because of what you told us. You told us if we didn't follow you, we'd have problems. And that's the way it is for for every nation. And Nehemiah says, God, do you remember that? Now, God remembered that. God knew very well that that the position that nation was in at that moment as they were struggling was due because they weren't following God. And so Nehemiah says, God, do you remember that? But then he moves on in verse 9. He said, but if ye turn unto me and keep my commandments and do them, though there were of you cast out under the uttermost part of the heaven, yet will I gather them from thence and will bring them unto the place that I have chosen to set my name there. In other words, he said, God, but don't forget, you said, if we, if we turn around, if we turn around, you'll bring us back and you'll heal us. Verse 10, now these are thy servants and thy people whom thou hast redeemed by thy great power. By thy strong hand, O Lord, I beseech thee, let now thine ear be attentive to the prayer of thy servant and to the prayer of thy servants who desire to fear thy name and prosper. I pray thee, thy servant, this day and grant him mercy in the sight of this man, for I was the king's cupbearer. I want you to look near the end of verse 3 in this text. Nehemiah chapter 1 and near the end of verse 3, you're going to find two words that come together really to serve as our title today and as the theme, I believe, for, for our study In the end of verse 3, here are the two words, broken down. Uh, Nehemiah was living in a day where some things had been broken down. A great heritage, no doubt. A great future, we believe that. Still we believe that. But but he was living in a day and age where things were broken down. Let me just ask you real quick. Have you ever been broken down? I spent the last two Saturdays of my life on the side of the road dealing with a truck that had broken down. Okay, How many of you would agree with me? It's a bummer. Yeah. Um, it's a major inconvenience. But maybe you've had occasions in your life where you've had a breakdown in your family. 
That's a little more than an inconvenience. That, that hurts. And, and on and on I could go. And then, then we think of our nation on a day like this. And we think of certain breakdowns that we're having economically. We, we think of storms and fires and the headlines today of, of uh, just a, a chaos across our land in terms of so much that is going on. And, and it seems that everywhere we look, there's a breakdown. Nehemiah was one man who changed his world. And I've got to tell you, I have more confidence in what's happening in this church house than any legislative house or White House or any other house where the so-called leaders are gathered today. And I, I mean, well, I was going to say, I mean no disrespect to them. I guess kind of that's disrespectful. What I'm saying is this. I believe the capacity for renewal in our lives, in our community, in our nation, it's, it's not going to come from the top down. They're not yet sure what the problems are, much less the solutions. But I believe in churches like this across America today are some good people that could be used like a Nehemiah to do a work of rebuilding, rebuilding. And I want you to think of that today. Now, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to do my very best to teach a Bible today, okay? And uh, I hope that as I'm doing that, you're doing your very best to, to get a hold of that truth that God has for you. And maybe we'll leave here today with a greater capacity to do a work of rebuilding in our lives and families and so on. Lord, we thank you for the Bible, for the truth of it. And Lord, we pray that you would use us today. Use us to, to touch our, our families and our communities. Lord, we have a great need. Help us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Considering an enemy had overtaken his nation and considering a majority of the people had been taken captive and considering their hopes for the future were greatly diminished, Nehemiah was doing pretty good. A lot of negative things had come into the life of his country, and so many were suffering. But Nehemiah, he managed in the midst of all the turmoil to do really well. For as we begin reading this text, we find that Nehemiah was in the winter palace of the Persian king, the ruler of the world, a man by the name of, of Artaxerxes. He was in a palace referred to as Shushan. He had risen to the position of prominence that he had in the king's court. And, and in the end of verse 11, we read that Nehemiah was the king's cupbearer. And that tells us that Nehemiah had gained a sense of favor and acceptance and trust from the king Artaxerxes. But in the midst of this success that he was experiencing personally, he had an occasion to hear from his brother and from some of the other men from Judah. And as they came by, Nehemiah asked this, this group, including his brother, How's Jerusalem? How are the people there? And the Bible tells us that they told Nehemiah that, that the people in Jerusalem were in great affliction and that they were a reproach. He heard of the walls that were broken down and, and his heart broke within him. And clearly for Nehemiah, the safest route for him to take would have been to just play it cool. Uh, don't, don't make any, any waves, so to speak, to just kind of coast through this time. The, the safest route would have been just don't rock the boat. But Nehemiah was not the type of man that thought only of the needs in his own life. He thought of, of others. And friends, this story would not be a blockbuster if Nehemiah were a selfish man. Selfish people don't inspire others. Selfish people don't reach outside of themselves. Selfish people don't invest their lives so that others around them can do well. Nehemiah was not a selfish man. He looked at this occasion and when he saw the needs of others, immediately something started stirring on the inside. Nehemiah literally laid his life on the line by approaching the king of, of, of uh, 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 the king Artaxerxes, the Persian king, for permission and for supplies to return to his homeland, the land they destroyed, to rebuild that which they'd had a part in bringing down. 
In Nehemiah 2 and verse 5, this is what we read. I said unto the king, If it please the king, and if thy servant have found favor in thy sight, that thou wouldest send me unto Judah, unto the city of my father's sepulchres, that I may build it. You see, due to Nehemiah's faithfulness on the job, so to speak, he had a boss who happened to be the most powerful man in the world. And Nehemiah comes and, and says, basically, King, I, I know that you were pretty excited about the, the conquering of Israel. And I'm sure you were glad to hear of the walls that were brought down. But King, that's where I'm from. And there's a need in my nation. And I, I'd like to go and, and have a part in rebuilding. And the king agreed. And, and in the course of this, we find that Nehemiah, he develops a team. He gets the materials necessary. He rebuilds the walls. It was a remarkable demonstration of leadership it was the type of leadership from which legends come but i want you to know this text we're reading today it's not a legend it's a true-to-life accounting of how one man changed the world in which he was living and perhaps the greatest book ever written on the topic of leadership is the book of nehemiah nehemiah's life has a lot to teach us today and as we look to this text and as your notes are nearby I, i want us to begin by looking here and seeing some principles we see first that nehemiah was selfless in his perspective, he was selfless. In response to the news, we find that the Bible tells us, Nehemiah, he sat down and he wept, and the Bible says he mourned certain days. He was touched in his heart. Nehemiah was the type of man that felt for the needs of others. And I want you to know that we are all leaders in one way or another, but none of us will ever be good leaders until we, through our leadership, seek to help those around us, not just help ourselves. Self-serving leaders are poor leaders. Servant-hearted leaders are the best leader. That's the leader that God wants to use. Now, the worldly mindset encourages us to look out for old number one. But a servant-hearted leader understands this. A rising tide lifts all ships. And we understand that if we help one, the ripples from that as they, as they move on out, it, it in turn can help others. When we are, are kind from our hearts, we're going to find that it's going to help many along the way. I remember the first Thanksgiving that Lisa and I spent together as a married couple, and we were uh, excited about it all. We were in church one day, and our church had been collecting food to give out to quote-unquote needy families in the area, and uh, they made an announcement one day in church, and the announcement was this, hey, we've collected tons of food, but we need some people to volunteer to pick up these boxes, and in a box was everything you need for Thanksgiving dinner, turkey and all of it, you know, and they said, we need some volunteers, we'll pick up these boxes and take them out to different people, and they had addresses and names and so forth, and, and we thought, well, we can do that, and, and so we uh, made time, and whatever the day was, we showed up, and, and uh, we began to go out, and we're dropping these boxes off to less fortunate people, and as we're driving, we got to talking, and what was uh, funny to us, and we couldn't help but see the irony in this, is truth be told, we didn't have the capacity to put on a Thanksgiving dinner ourselves that year. Uh, we didn't have a turkey at home in the fridge waiting on us. We didn't have the money to go buy it, and so we somehow we found that amusing. We're chuckling as we're out trying to help the less fortunate ones, and we're thinking, man, we wouldn't have the ability to do this ourselves either. We weren't stressed out about it. We had family around. It was going to be okay. I'm not saying we were on the brink of starvation, but we were delivering more food to needy people than we would have had the ability to purchase ourselves, and we went about and dropped that off and had a good day because it is more blessed to give than to receive, and, and as we came home that day, we walked up the stairs to our second-story apartment, and Guess what was on our our porch waiting for us as we walked in? A box of groceries, you know. 
Here we are uh, out trying to help the needy, dropping off boxes of groceries. We come home and we, we discovered maybe we were needy, okay? Somebody managed to put some groceries on, on, on our step. Listen, we learned something that day. We learned a great lesson that day. When you do what you do for the good of others, you're blessed in return in, in many ways. And we don't always see it. And I'm not saying we can always figure it out. But I'm saying a servant-hearted leader is one that says, you know, if I'm good to others, it's good for, for everybody. I like how Luke 6 and 38 says it. Give and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, shall men give unto your bosom. For with the same measure that you meet or that you give, with all it shall be measured to you again. You know, it would have been natural for Nehemiah to say, boy, I hate it for them that they're in such a bad time. That's too bad for them. But I mean, really, I'm doing pretty good. I'm here in the palace, you know. I'm working for the king, you know. I'm rubbing shoulders with uh, some of the really powerful people, you know. But that wasn't the heart of Nehemiah. He, he said, you know something, I've got a selfless perspective here. I see the needs of others, and I'm grateful for that. But not only do we see in Nehemiah a selfless perspective, Nehemiah was spiritual in his planning. And I want you to look at this with me today. After Nehemiah allowed his heart to be touched by the needs of others, he did something. Our text in verse 4 tells us this. He fasted and he prayed before the God of heaven. Folks, can I tell you today, every good work begins with prayer. That's where it began for Nehemiah. And really, the entire book of Nehemiah records in the beginning, he prayed. All through the book of Nehemiah, he prayed. The entire last chapter, basically, is, is a time of prayer. Nehemiah was a man of prayer. And he realized that as he looked alive, he could plan, he could dream, he could imagine, he could hope. But ultimately, he was spiritual in his planning in that he said, God, I'm praying to you because I need your help. Planning without any thought of God really is presumption. Well, let me tell you what I'm going to do in the future. I'm going to do this. I'm going to go there. I'm going to have this. I'm going to become this. I'm going to spin this or make this. And, and yet Solomon in Proverbs 16 and 1 said this. He said, the preparation of the heart in man and the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. In other words, in our hearts, we plan and we dream and we imagine. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's fine. But, but it's the heart that at the end of it all says this. God, you get the last word. I know we've got a plan, and I know we've got a forecast, I know we've got to look ahead, and we've got to think these kind of thoughts, but, but God, I want you to know that you have the last word in my life. The psalmist in Psalm 37 and verse 4 said this, Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. What was he saying? Man, find your delight in God, and he'll give you the desires of your heart. God doesn't become a genie bottle that we rub who does whatever we want to give us whatever we desire. What it means is this. When you learn to love God and you, you learn to know what God says is good and learn his truth, you're going to find that the desires in your heart are consistent with the desires that he has for your life. As you delight yourself in the Lord, you're going to find yourself desiring things that maybe the old you would think, I would have never desired that before. I'd, I'd have never wanted that before. The Bible says when we get to know God, we're going to find that as we draw close, as we delight in Him, those desires will be put in our heart. The Apostle Paul in Philippians 2.13 said this, It's God which worketh in you both to will and to do of His good pleasure. So as God works in you so that He then may work through you, He does it this way, in your will and also so that you can do it. What's your will? That's the desires. As God works in your life, the desires come, but then consistent with the will of God that comes in our heart as a desire is the capacity to do that which God gives us to do. That's the divine enabling. That's how God works in our lives. We start longing for those things that are right when we draw close to God, and we find that He, he helps us, He leads us. And I think it's noteworthy that Nehemiah's prayer in verses 5 through 11 
It's an honest confession of sin in his life as well as the sins of his country. In verse 7, listen to what he said. He said, we've dealt very corruptly against thee. We haven't kept your commandments, statutes, judgments, those things you commanded thy servant Moses. And he said we, he was including himself, but the entire nation. And I think it's important for us to realize that the problems Israel was having at this moment was because they drifted from God. Can I share with you a principle that is true in every nation in all time? The Bible tells us in Psalm 33 and verse 12, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. And as this nation walked away from God, the proximity that they distanced themselves, by that same measure, they sensed a lessening of his influence and trouble came. And it's that way. You see, Proverbs 14, 34 tells us that righteousness exalts a nation. And the converse is true as well. Unrighteousness leads a nation to go down. And I'm grateful for the heritage we have, but I want you to know these principles are universal and they apply to our country. And and the further we drift from God and the more we remove God from from the fabric of our culture, I believe the more we're going to see unnecessary trials and burdens come our way. You see, this truth is relevant for us today, just as it was for them in their day. And And I'll tell you what I believe today our nation needs more than anything else. We need a revival from God. We We need for people of faith, to know the Lord, to know His Word, to live His Word, to love the Lord, to do what God would ask us to do. And I believe that God, through people that are yielded to Him, could bring whatever we need in our land today. And we, we see a lot of needs in our land today, don't we? I mean, we see a lot of problems. We see a lot of trials. And our country is so divided. And frankly, uh, our church is big enough for people to have different opinions on things. But just about everybody in the United States had an opinion on, on the Supreme Court ruling this week. We all had an opinion on that. We're all trying to figure out, do we want to be socialists like Europe? Or do we want to kind of be like we used to be? And, and we're just torn and twisted. And our country's going through this time where we're trying to figure out, what is it that we need? Friends, listen, I'm going to tell you what we need. I've got very strong opinions uh, on form of government. To me, less is best. However... I think you could be in any type of a government and that life that is yielded to God can be blessed by God. I'm not saying the rest of it's not important. I'm just saying what America needs more than anything is for, is for people like us to say, God, listen, I love you and I want to do what you want me to do today and I want to live the kind of life you would have me to live. God, use me to be a blessing to those around me. The Bible tells us in Proverbs 14 and 12, there is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. And I found that the more people sit around to try and figure out what is it we need to do next, they come up with a way that seems right, but it's highly ineffective. What we need to do is to go to the Lord and say, God, what would you have us to do that was the spirit nehemiah had he was spiritual in his planning but i want us to see also he was strategic in his partnerships with the approval of the king nehemiah developed a working relationship with those who could supply what he needed it's a very practical step but again the bible is a very practical book in nehemiah chapter 2 verses 7 through 8 we read something and this is what we read moreover i said unto the king if it please the king let letters be given to uh, me, to the governors beyond the river, that they may convey me over till I come into Judah. And a letter on the Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me the timber to make beams for the gates of the palace, which appertain to the house, and for the wall of the city, and for the house that I shall enter into. And the king granted me, according to the good hand of God, upon me. So what does Nehemiah do? He gets permission from the king. He gets the supplies he needs. And, and as we read through this story in Scripture, we find that he then turns to the remnant that's living in Jerusalem. And the Bible tells us that Nehemiah gets this small group of afraid, scattered, so to speak, people, and he begins to share his heart with them. 
Now, what made that a valuable exercise is what was in his heart. It was something that God had put there. Now, I want you to think of this. The Bible tells us in Nehemiah 2, verses 17 and 18, and if you have the ability to look at those verses, I want you to do so. Nehemiah 2, 17 and 18. Then said I unto them. So now Nehemiah is talking to these people, living. They're just afraid, okay? He said, you guys, you all, ye, see the distress that we're in. How Jerusalem lieth waste, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. He said, you guys see this? Look at, it. Look at this mess we're in. This place is, is, is a mess. He said, come, let us build up the wall of Jerusalem that we be no more a reproach. Then, after I told them that, he says, then I told them of the hand of my God, which is good upon me, as also the king's words that he had spoken unto me. And listen to what these people said. And they said, let us rise up and build So they strengthened their hands for this good work. Did you know there's nothing more inspiring than a leader who knows not just what's wrong, but what the solution is? He knows what needs to be done, and he's a person of conviction. There's not many things more inspiring than a leader who can stand up before a group of people that share a common problem and say, listen, listen, this is the problem, and this is what it is that needs to be done. And I say we work together, and we can accomplish this. This isn't self-serving. This isn't just for me. This is for us. This will be a collaborative thing. We can work together. And when Nehemiah came and he shared what was in his heart, the Bible says the people responded by saying, let's go. Let's do this. Let us rise up and build. That was the heart. When the going got tough along the way, Nehemiah always brought the people right back to that vision, to the vision. You see, the vision that Nehemiah had for the future was a value because it was placed in his heart by God. Nehemiah first arrived in in Jerusalem, and he wisely took some time to assess the situation. The Bible tells us that a fool uh, tries to answer something before he knows the matter. And so Nehemiah, he gets to Jerusalem, and and he takes some time. He wants to look around. And he does it in kind of a secretive secretive way. If you have your Bibles in Nehemiah 2, I want you to look at verse 12. The Bible says here, And I arose in the night, I and some few men with me. So Nehemiah's going. He's got a few guys perhaps to guard him or, or to look after him. But listen to what he says next. Neither told I any man what my God, and I love the way he's so personal with God, you know. This is just a generic, general God. He always says it's my God, you know. Um, What my God had put in my heart to do at Jerusalem. You see, that which was being done originated with God, and it was advanced through the heart of Nehemiah. Nehemiah was was able to go and, And say, let me tell you what God's put on my heart. And that's why it was compelling to people. And God can put something on your heart. In my Bible, next to that statement, I wrote, Start Coastline Baptist Church. Almost 14 years ago, God put something on my heart. Nobody knew about it. It was me alone in the night, so to speak, like Nehemiah. And and I was able to to see as things were getting started, bring some people together and say, hey, listen, folks, this isn't about me. It's about God and his work in your life. And and God's put something on my heart, a desire to start a church. And we moved to this area. I didn't know any of you then. I didn't know anybody in this whole area when we started the church. But there was something God put on my heart. And as I was able to share with others, look, man, uh, we're going to start a church here. And as I began to share what God did, Thank God there were some people along the way who, like in Nehemiah's day, said, you know something, let's rise up and build. Let's do this together. This is work that can get accomplished. Now, you're not going to rebuild walls. Nehemiah already did that. You're not going to start Coastline Baptist Church. That's already been done. But God can put some things on your heart. And when you get something on your heart, you'll find God can make it compelling as you move ahead into the future. I feel sorry for people who spend so much of their lives trying to figure out what they want to do. Because the Bible makes it very clear that God can help us with that. He can work in our lives. 
I've taken personality tests and proficiency tests and, and all the rest, but, you know, really, I'm not looking for a Scantron test taken with number two pencil to tell me my objective in life. I'm glad that there's a God big enough who can put some things in our hearts and can lead us along and through us can make a difference. I'm grateful for that. I was reading the paper week before last, and there was an article uh, in the USA Today. It wasn't a local paper, but, but there's kind of a local feel to it from my perspective. And it talked about the commandant of the Marine Corps, General James uh, Amos, along with top enlisted Marine Sergeant Major Michael Barrett. And, and the article was about a very small, small number of Marines who had a real breach in ethics and had done some things that weren't appropriate and, and the impact that was having. And, and the article highlighted how the, how the commandant and, and uh, this other top enlisted Marine were traveling from base to base, even, even around the world. And, and uh, he, he, he said this, the commandant of the Marine Corps, he said he was taking his trip to remind this storied group of fighting men and women that they've been called to a, and this is his word, higher standard. He was saying, listen, that's not what we do. There's a higher standard here. He talked about breaches in behavior with a very small number, and I emphasize that, and we understand that. He said with the constant fighting, he was seeking to remind Marines to, and this is his expression again, to get back on true north. Now, what was he calling them to? He's calling them to vision. To vision. He was saying, look, that's not who we are. That's not what we do. That's not where we go. We're the few and the proud. We're the Marines. We have a direction. This is the way we do things. That's not the way we do things. He was calling them back to vision, to vision. He was saying, look, let's not forget who we are. And, and that was something that he knew would, would be compelling. He didn't go from, from place to place to try to institute fines or say, we're going to give you, you know, a, a lash with a wet noodle this many times if you do that. And, and he went and said, listen, there's, there's a higher standard here. There's, there's, there's a vision that we can fall under, in a similar sense, Nehemiah was very strategic in the partnerships he developed in his maintaining of the vision through a difficult process. And finally today, before we're gone, I want you to understand this. Nehemiah was steadfast in his participation. A lot of people start things really good in life. We just don't get around to finishing them, okay? And uh, men, I think that's what wives are for, okay? They help us to know, uh, hey, finish this or that, and, and it's good. We all need that. But sometimes we get things started and and we don't finish them. And Nehemiah, he just was not that type of man at all. He was consistent and persistent. And in one of the most key verses in this great blockbuster, we find Nehemiah under attack. He'd been slandered. He'd been criticized. He'd been maligned. People were passing letters. It was the equivalent in the day of somebody wrote a blog that was mean to him and was sending it to everybody. And, and, uh, and those things hurt. We understand that. He was under attack. Now, let's not forget, Nehemiah left the palace to go to a rundown city to rebuild walls that had fallen down. This was a selfless act, and the thanks he got for a selfless act, criticism. And it sometimes happens that way, okay? So here's Nehemiah. He's getting slammed. And I want you to take a look to Nehemiah chapter 6 and verse 3. In the midst of this attack in his life, Nehemiah said, And I sent messengers unto them, saying, I'm doing a, I'm doing a great work. So that I cannot come down. Now, I'm going to read on, but he wasn't bragging. He wasn't saying I'm a great worker. He said the work I'm involved in is a great work. I don't know if I'm a great preacher or not, but I think preaching is a great thing to do. That's what Nehemiah was saying. I'm doing a great work here. 
You guys are trying to get me off this wall. I'm doing a great work so that I cannot come down. And then he asks you a question. Why should the work cease whilst I leave it and come down to you? What a great question. He said, excuse me, Mr. Critic, Mr. Slanderer, Mr. Mean Blogger, whatever the case may be. He said, let me ask you a question. Since the work I'm involved in is a great one because it's the work of God, why should I stop doing what God has given me to do to come down and deal with you so I can hear more criticism and slander? And What he was saying is, yeah, I'm not. You guys can talk all day if you want to. You're not going to make me quit. I can't come down. I'm involved in a great work. I'm doing something that God would have me to do. You guys could say all that you'd want to say. He was saying some things in life are so important that they deserve our focused attention and commitment. The Apostle Paul had something similar to say. In Philippians 3 and 13, he said, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do. And I could read on, but I love the way Paul could say there one thing. He was steadfast in his calling. I'm going I'm to keep going. I'm not going to quit. And after 52 short but grueling days, a project was completed. A difference was made. A lot of hands participated in the work. A lot of people worked together. But it was accomplished because one person spent time with God, worked with wisdom, refused to quit. He wasn't trained in building insofar as we read. Uh, We don't read of Nehemiah that he took courses on leadership. He didn't have a title. He just cared enough to get involved. He saw the need and took the lead and said, I'll do my best. And he did. What gets me about this blockbuster is the fact that any of us can be that person. There's nothing so exceptional about Nehemiah's life that we'd say, well, yeah, but that's him. You're dealing with me here. All the things he did are things that we could if we, if we would. Any of us can draw close to the Lord and discern what he would have us to do and be in our families and work and church. Any of us can refuse to quit. Any of us can, can make a difference. And I don't know what it is in your life that is in need of being rebuilt. I'm pretty sure none of us here today are absolutely perfect. And again, I just imagine it. you wouldn't have to think hard to think of that area that's in the greatest need of some attention. Rebuilt. Here's what Nehemiah would tell us today. You're up to the challenge. You can do this. Don't let the critics get you off the work. Don't let people tell you it can't be done. You're up for the challenge. You can do these things that God would have you to do. For Nehemiah, it all began just by drawing close to the Lord, and God led him. And that's how he became a leader. He didn't try to become a leader. He followed God. In the course of following God, he turned around. There were people behind him. He became a leader. God will do the same in your life. He can use you to become a rebuilder of things that are broken down. Our Father, thank you.